Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the Leadership File, the show that aims to help you change the way you lead. I'm Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Bruce Collins. Uh, born in South Africa, he's lived in the UK since 1978, initially working as a chemical engineer and marketing manager before being ordained into the Church of England in 1983. He served for 12 years as the team rector of the Roxeth Team Ministry in Harrow and then with the New Wine as then international director before becoming part of the management team of New Wine Cymru, that's Wales, since 2007. He's the author of the books Prophesy in 2000 and more recently Jesus Gospel, Jesus Way, 2014. We're going to be talking on this show about transitioning from what we might call traditional church to one which is more open to the supernatural. So welcome, Bruce, to the Leadership File. Thanks, Andy. Good, good, good to have you uh, along. Uh, just just to, to start off, you believe it's Jesus' intention that the church should continue his kingdom ministry and mission until his return, that the kind of things that happen in the Gospels can happen in local churches today. That's the kind of your thesis as we as we chat. <laughs> no, I believe that deeply, um, both from the scriptures and then being borne out in, in my experience in ministry. Uh, from the scriptures, it's really simple. In the Great Commission, uh, the Lord, among other things, in, in telling his disciples to take the gospel out, make disciples of all nations, he said, you must teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And that has got to include, in the very business of making disciples, what he commanded his original disciples to do in, in preaching the gospel. And, of course, in John chapter 20, in his resurrection appearance in the upper room, uh, he said to his first leaders, as the Father sent me, so that's the same way as I'm sending you. And uh, we, we can see, too, if you look at the Lord's approach to training leaders for mission and ministry, um, he gathered people around him to watch him, but then chose 12 apostles to be the foundation stones of his new church. But they had to do exactly what he was doing. And once that was established with them, then he also sent out a further 72 to show the original 12 how they could reproduce and multiply the ministry that he inaugurated amongst us. And uh, for me, there's just one more major thing, you know, where Luke says it, at the introduction to the Acts of the Apostles, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach uh, until he was taken up uh, to heaven. And now what he's going on to record is how the Lord continues the ministry that he began amongst us 2,000 years ago, walking around in the flesh, uh, now doing that uh, through his church filled with the Holy Spirit. It's still his ministry, his mission. Uh, nothing's changed. And uh, he said, he's on, on record as saying in Matthew, I think it's chapter 22, um, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and only then will the end come. So it, it's the same business, inaugurated by him and continued until he finally returns. So your, your journey to discovering that, Bruce, I mentioned that you became uh, you were ordained in, in 1983. Uh, was, was this kind of something you discovered uh, during that period or much later? Well, 
I had started experiencing charismatic renewal before I went forward for ordination training, but it was while I was in training, I think it's either 1981 or 82, that I got taken to a meeting at St. Andrew's Chorley Wood at which John Wimber was speaking. And really, uh, I was fascinated by the way he spoke, and particularly the simple emphasis that ministry belongs to Jesus and that he does it by his Holy Spirit in and through believers, through his church. And that started me on a journey, uh, and I went to many of John's conferences over the years, uh, starting with the big first big one in Westminster Central Hall in 1984, um, but that went through into the 90s until John died. Um, so he was a major impact on me. Um, but then following on with that, the influence of people like David Pitches, Sandy Miller at, at HTB, uh, and so on, the, the, these, these things continued um, to help me. But it was really through church planting, uh, opening up a new church in St. Peter's, Notting Hill, that during those times uh, from really 1984, 85, 86, um, you know, learning to put these things into practice to, and seeing the fruit of it in terms of people, local people coming to the Lord, uh, that really was confirming these things in my direct experience. And then later, as overseer of the international networking of New Wine, traveling to different countries, speaking on these things, uh, basically I've just seen more and more of these realities happening and uh, particularly in third world countries where people are so much more open to the gospel but so much more open to supernatural things happening uh, i've seen things very similar to what's written in the gospels in terms of people with blind eyes having their eyes open deaf ears being opened the lame walking uh, amazing things and not just one or two but loads of people being healed at meetings as we preach the kingdom so uh, I, I'm seeing it uh, being confirmed in my own experience, and now I'm really thrilled because we're seeing it uh, in, in Western countries as well, and not least here in Wales. Right. <clears throat> so, I mean, in your view, what would be the kind of foundations that would be required for a church to grow in this? Because um, you'll, you'll be familiar with the fact that a lot of, a lot of churches will... Uh, they'll believe that Jesus did these things in the Gospels, um, yeah. and they may be pray. They might pray for God to do things, but they don't see a great deal um, happening, and yeah. so they kind of consign that. Well, it must be God's will not for that not to happen here. But but you're obviously part of your ministry is is encouraging churches to experience some of these things. What would be the kind of foundations that that's that you think's necessary? I mean, is it just enough for the minister or the vicar to to get to get the vision? Well, that obviously is primary, but at the same time, uh, there are several really important things. Uh, first of all, um, you know, Jesus said, if you really are my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so for me to lay a foundation of biblical truth to undergird all, all of this, because otherwise there's such danger of just going into experiential Christianity that's not firmly anchored in the person and work of Jesus himself, as recorded for us in the New Testament, but also in the whole of biblical truth. And uh, the theme of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, it runs right through the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22. So uh, it's really important for any leader who wants seriously to take their church into these things to take their time to lay these proper foundations. And 
The second thing, though, is that the leader himself or herself needs to have a sound grasp of these things and have learned, usually in other settings, how to step out in faith to do these things and to model these things in a responsible way. But there must be a, a, a very good level of trust of the congregation in the, the, the person of their leader. They must trust their leader their integrity, their willingness to be vulnerable and honest when they make mistakes. Uh, one of the things that really appealed to me about John Wimber is that he would regularly say, look, guys, this is the way we've learned it so far. If you want us back next year, please don't hold it against us. If we say, actually, it's not quite like this. We've been learning more. The Lord's been showing us more. And I felt I could really trust the lead as somebody who was that honest and refreshing that they were pursuing the Lord with all their heart. They wanted to be anchored in the scriptures, but open to be taught what's really there in the riches of the scriptures uh, by the, the living presence and leading of the Holy Spirit in their midst. Uh, the other thing in terms of transitioning a church into these things is you must have, as a leader, a realistic appreciation of the, the mix of people that you're leading. And again, it was Wimber who helped us to understand. He, he, he summarized it like this, that in any church, typically, you'll have a mix of four basic types of people. Your, your radicals, progressives, conservatives, and traditionalists. And he said your radicals are generally more heart-orientated people. When they see something that they believe is of God, there's something new, uh, their hearts leap to it, they really want to go for it. And if it's like there's a wall in the way, they'll smash a hole through the wall, They'll go through, they don't mind how untidy the hole in the wall is, but they'll look back through it with surprise that not everybody is following them. <laughs> yes, indeed, yeah. uh, and woe betide any leader who tries to move on their church on by building just on radicals. They're valuable people, but at the same time, uh, they tend to be rather emotionally oriented. Uh, the second group, the progressives, are the, the real uh, change agents in a church. They're the people who might take a little longer to, to assess things, but nevertheless, their whole orientation is to move on with the Lord. And so they will have radicals as friends, and they'll look, they'll listen, they'll discern, they'll weigh it in the Scriptures, interact with the leader, but then will be willing to follow on when they've tested it for themselves. They want to move. Uh, but they'll tidy up that hole as they go through it. You, your conservatives are usually the, the bulk of membership of a more inherited church. If you've got a new church plant, it won't be like that necessarily. But in any church, uh, church that's been around for quite a long time, uh, conservatives might be 50% or more of your congregation. Many of them were yesterday's progressives that have found something really good, they've moved with God, they've seen the blessing, but then they want to settle for what they know to be good. And they instinctively mistrust any radicals, but often it's their sons and daughters who are the progressives. Some amongst them is their friends are more progressive, and they will take longer to listen, to weigh things up, and then they will be willing to at least bless what's happening and move on with it, uh, but they'll take a little longer. Your traditionalists are also very emotionally oriented people. Conservatives are all more mind-oriented, but the traditionalists are very um, uh, emotionally oriented. They may have come to the Lord through a shaft of sunlight, through a beautiful stained-glass window at an 8 o'clock communion service. Uh, and any leader might, who wants to move them on who doesn't understand that they've got an emotional investment or attachment, let's say, 
to what really helped them meet God, but uh, gives, may, they might give them every good intellectual reason why they should move on and change their thinking. But if they don't understand that attachment, all they will do is, is cause real trouble uh, with those people. And ultimately, the only thing that will really move a traditionalist on or bring them to a place where they will bless new things happening in their church if they're not required forced themselves to participate in it is by being absolutely secure that they're loved by the leadership of the church. That's the one thing, that if they're secure in the love and approval of their church and know that they really care for them, will visit them in hospital when they're not well or whatever, they will give blessing to, to the church to move on. Are you listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck? I'm joined this week by Bruce Collins. Bruce is the... Um, now involved in New Wine, we're talking particularly about uh, transitioning a church from uh, a more traditional to a more open to, to the spirit uh, format. Welcome back to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Bruce Collins. Bruce is the uh, on the management team of New Ryan Cymru in Wales since uh, 2007. He's the author of the books Prophesy and Jesus Gospel, Jesus Way. We're talking particularly about uh, transitioning ch local church into uh, a church that's perhaps more open to the more supernatural aspects of Jesus' ministry as uh, seen in the Gospels. And uh, very helpfully, Bruce, you were talking before the break of the, the four categories of uh, people um, that you need to be aware of in a church, that the, the radicals, the progressives, the conservatives, and the traditionals. And it's great to hear that uh, you're able to, to transition a church with, with losing very few people because you're, you're very much aware. And I was interested that, you, you, you in your view, tra traditionals often have an emotional attachment. I think some people assume traditional is, must have a mental. It must be a mental issue. You're, you're saying it's an emotional issue that kind of connects them to the past. Uh, and and to maybe to the the way God used to, uh, in their view, um, used to be at work in their life. Yeah, and woe betide a leader who doesn't understand that, because you're basically trying to take God away from them in their, even if it's not thought through at a, at an intellectual level. In effect, by taking away those traditional cues for them, in effect, they're feeling like you're taking away the means for them to meet with God. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, the, the, this is fraught with misunderstanding, um, and you've you've hinted at that in your need to approach things in certain ways. And I, I guess that the major misunderstanding, for particularly for uh, the conservatives and the traditionalists, is that you you know you think that you're better than us, that you think you're the the one where God's at work and He's not at work in us. That that will be one of the misunderstandings. Would that be correct? Yes, it's a big one. This whole issue um, of first and second class Christians, yep. um, it comes into sharp focus when you start releasing people in the gifts of the Spirit, which for me, as I read the Bible, I believe are not there to turn you into a charismatic or Pentecostal-style Christian. They're the basic tools to be able to do kingdom work for all Christians rather than uh, features of a particular type of spirituality. Um, but it's really important, before you ever release people in the gifts of the Spirit or greater fullness in the Spirit, to emphasize that what Jesus taught, that we must be born from above, born again, uh, in order to enter the kingdom and to see what's going on in the kingdom. So that that is essential, and it is a bit of a sharp point for some, because uh, for some traditional Christians who've never been shown what it means 
to be born again, and worse still, when some evangelical Christians in their enthusiasm uh, frighten people by, by sort of demanding of them, are you born again? Which for me is about as foolish a question as going to, to talk to a baby when it's still inside the womb, saying, has it been born? Yes. Um, they've not come into that experience, and it's much better to hold up examples of what it means to be born again in a positive, grace-filled light, rather than to point fingers and challenge people, are you born again? Um, so, but if people are born again, whether they use the gift of the Spirit or not, we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. There's only one status that anybody can have with the Lord, and that is, are you in Christ? Uh, have you come to know him? Uh, are you a member of his kingdom? And I have to say that in Harrow, we had some people on our council who were born-again people who, for whatever reason, had been put off using the gifts of the Spirit in previous years, um, but who were beautiful Christians, mature, loving, serving, praying Christians. And I would never dare to, to suggest that in any way they were inferior to some brand new who, Christian who perhaps had no idea of how much of a pigsty their lives were still in, um, but nevertheless were using the gifts of the Spirit quite freely. It's all about are we in Christ and are we committed to becoming more and more cooperating with his Holy Spirit to help us become more and more like him. Um, and obviously the fruit of the Spirit in terms of a Christ-like character uh, are, are the real hallmarks of, of true Christianity and a Christ-like life. Right. Um, and, I mean, you, you've um, you've been working in New Wine Cymru. You've also, of course, you worked uh, internationally with the New Wine Network in the, uh, uh, you know, the, the English-based uh, part of New Wine as well. Um, you've seen churches transition, make this kind of change? Yes, it's very varied, obviously, because mm. different churches come from different backgrounds, and you'll have new church plants, for example, with a leader committed to these things, and people buy into it. You know, uh, I learned that difference. When I was in uh, Notting Hill and church planted, uh, we, I was learning these things at the time and putting them into practice immediately, and people were being drawn uh, to all of that, and the church was growing. And so, for better or worse, people join a church plant if they like the way the church is going. Uh, when, excuse me, when I moved to Harrow, I discovered, first of all, there were four generations of people in the same church, and they'd seen vicars come and vicars go. And it, it felt completely different, because there, um, you know, if, if you get it wrong, well, it's the vicar who moves on. And, and so it, it felt completely different in terms of how to transition the church, um, because I realized that's where I really learned how much you need to have this differing strategy for different groups of people uh, within the church. Um, but I've seen hundreds of churches that have been transitioned from varied backgrounds to becoming more kingdom gospel focused. Um, more open to ministering the, the gospel of the kingdom and the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I've uh, been involved in training churches and church leaders all over the place. And it really is lovely to see the way in which things are changing now in countries like the UK and Sweden, the Netherlands, um, as well as in third world countries or in very interesting countries like, the, uh, like China with the underground churches there. And, and the kind of... Um a time frame. I appreciate again. This is how long's a piece of string kind of question, but uh, but obviously it's not going to be two weeks. But it doesn't no. need to be twenty years either. So, we're, you know, two years, three years, four years. Transition? Well, 
I, I think a, a long-standing church takes about seven years to, yeah. to change properly, but that's not to say that you don't see early fruit. Yes. And having reconfigured the Sunday services, for example, in Harrow, Christchurch mm. in Harrow, uh, we saw very significant growth. The church had declined, I think, to about 220 when I first arrived there. But we were regularly having 400, 450 people at our, our three Sunday services by we're, oh, within about four years, thereabouts. Mm. So we, we saw significant growth in people coming to the Lord, but... Um, but that wasn't to say that all members of the church were uh, completely convinced of, of where I and the leadership were taking the church. But they had the freedom both to speak up and to ask their questions and would be properly listened to, uh, because that for me is another thing that's really important in leadership. Um, but also, they were godly people in the main who, who really wanted to test the tree by its fruit, and they were liking a lot of the fruit that they were seeing. Yeah. Well, Something I forgot to mention earlier uh, as we were talking, Andy, is that um, it, there was and has been a big danger in the charismatic movement particularly where it's all been about new freedom in the spirit, using excitement about using the gifts of the spirit, but has not been very missional. And uh, for me, I, I know I made mistakes in that area myself where I just had this belief that if we were renewed enough, then mission would be a byproduct of it. And in one sense, that's partly true. But the thing that I've realized and what Teddy Sanders, who is my spiritual mentor for many years, used to say, I think repeating David Watson, if mission is not your central priority, it won't be a priority at all. And so for people who are more reluctant to move in this direction, one of the, the acid tests for them is, is this truly missional? And sad to say, there have been some churches that have entered into renewal and have had amazing bless-up meetings and so on, but frankly are just not reaching new people. And so engagement with your community, loving, serving your community, building relationships with people outside church life, uh, being natural, normal Christians rather than charismatic weirdos who love to use special language and special gestures and things like that, those things are very off-putting to outsiders. And John Wimber's emphasis on being naturally supernatural is something that we need to take to heart over and over again. And I will say in particular, the lead church in our new Wine Cymru network, Cornerstone Church in Swansea, uh, led by Julian and Sarah Richards, for me absolutely excels in this. They, they are truly missional in their whole orientation, the design of their Sunday services. Uh, they, they see healings every week just about. They're seeing people coming to the Lord regularly. The church is growing. But I know I could take anybody to, to a service there and uh, they would see just natural, normal people get a genuinely warm welcome that's not excessively effusive, it's just natural. And uh, the, the style of the services, the worship and so on is designed in such a way that uh, no language of Zion is used. It's, it's simple, it's natural, it's, it's really accessible for, for the outsider. So that for me is another very high... Um, highly important aspect of all of this is that everything we do, even in seeking um, the church to be renewed in kingdom ministry and so on, is that it must, from right from the beginning, be oriented towards mission. Well, Bruce, it's been terrific to chat with you. Sadly, the time's defeated us for this particular show. We're going to uh, go on and talk uh, for, for next week so listeners can uh, 
uh, can um, listen to you again talking in more detail about about healing. Um, But your books, uh, Prophesy and uh, Jesus Gospel, Jesus Way, I'll make sure there's a link on the uh, on-demand section of Premier's website, but just remind me of the, the publishers. It's St. Andrew's Bookshop, and their website is St. Andrew's Bookshop with no full stop, dot co dot UK. Brilliant. St. Andrew's Bookshop dot co dot UK. Well, I would uh, particularly, I'd encourage you know, b- both books. Um, I, was, I was particularly impacted by Jesus Gospel, Jesus Way. So um, that will give you a, a fuller flavour and some background to, uh, to what Bruce has been saying in the show. So, Bruce, thank you so much. It's been terrific. Great, Andy. Many thanks. So you'll be listening to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I was joined this week by uh, Bruce Collins. And uh, do log on to Premier's website. You can find archive recordings of The Leadership File, including this one, in due course. I look forward to your company again next Sunday at 3.30. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's Word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.